Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lapse Factor. The Lapse Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You are watching episode number 213 of the Lax Factor podcast. I am your host, Ted Hoost, and today we're going to recap Monday's Cornell versus Maryland finals for Division One. We'll also talk about the Division Three game between Union and RIT, as well as Mercy versus Tampa in the Division Two finals. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell if you're an audio listener, share the crap out of this video with your friends. Please just hit like indiscriminately, even if you hate me, because this is the last episode of the 2022 season, at least the last recap episode. I'm going to do an awards show and maybe a little bit more of a recap here. We'll do one more show about this 2022 season, but this is it. And I'm going to shut the hell up now, and we'll get into it. I do want to say, though, we got over 10,000 subscribers this uh, season, so thank you to everyone for making 2022 awesome. Cheers to you all. Cheers to me, because I am the greatest lacrosse podcaster on the history of planet Earth, no matter what anyone else says. And now we get into it. Cornell versus Maryland on Memorial Day for all the marbles We'll do game flow first, and then we'll discuss some keys to the game. CJ Kirst, he got Cornell on the board with 728 left in the first quarter. Cornell was Cornell was able to go toe to toe with the Terps over the course of that kind of the half of that first quarter. But after Kirst's goal, Maryland would flex its offensive and defensive muscles the remainder of that half and take a 7-2 lead going into the third quarter. It was the Anthony DeMeo show through the middle part of Maryland's five-goal run. The sixth-year senior scored a natty hat-trick over a two-minute and nine-second span. The first one, a sneaky little give-and-go with Logan Wisnowskis. DeMeo gave the ball up as he brought it into the offensive zone, just booked it past his guy, Groot hit him, and Tony got an easy finish, nearly a one-on-one. Second goal came under a minute later, this time from Kyle Long. Long pressed above GLE up the right side from behind, spotted number 16 on the opposite side of the field, threw it all the way over top, and Tony smoked it five-hole on Erlen. The third came a minute and nine seconds later, this time an absolute laser on a nifty one-touch dish from Daniel Maltz with the extra man. DeMeo stuck it in the near corner, uh, top side, but Erlen being a righty, it was off stick. Off stick side, so beautiful goal there. Another CJ Kirst goal made it five to two. Maryland goes up on another run after that. They go on a four goal run this time. Logan Wisnowskis this time put up two goals, uh, two of those four goals. Groot's first came with 112 left in the half. A nice dish from Long as he dodged down the right alley. He finds number one on the far side of the field. Wisnowskis got his second of the game two and a half minutes into the second half. This time from Eric Maliver. He stung the top right corner, low to high, beautiful shot off a screen by Maltz. Now, I just want to say you hear a lot about about Bubba Fairman being willing to be selfless and, and move from off, being one of their best offensive midfielders to playing defensive midfield this year. I don't think you can talk about Bubba Fairman doing what he did without talking about what Maltz did this season. A year ago, 
their third leading scorer with 40 goals and 10 helpers. This season, 10 goals and seven assists in a much more limited role, but he played that role well. You see he had that really nice one, one st uh, st kind of a quick stick feed to DeMeo earlier in the game. He's setting a screen on the crease to free Wisnowskis up at this stage here. This team truly was one of the most selfless teams offensively, defensively, in terms of how guys were willing to accept diminished roles because the roster was just loaded. Can't say enough about that. Let's get back into this, though. The Terps' final goal of the game was scored by Jonathan Donville. Very nifty finish on the doorstep, dished by Wisnowskis. That gave Maryland a 9-2 lead, and at that time, who would have thought that that would have been their final goal of the game? Credit to Cornell for getting their defensive shit together from that moment on. Aiden Blake, he would start Cornell's five-goal run as they tried to get back into the game. Finished an easy one on the crease from Piatelli, 9-3 Maryland. Spencer Wertheim would score unassisted with 7.27 remaining in the game to make the score 9-6 Maryland. He dodges from the kind of the top wing, got under his defender, buried it left-handed. And at this stage, I'm kind of starting to think, holy shit, Cornell's got a legitimate shot. It was going to still be a tall task, but they had a legitimate shot. But then enter Logan McNaney, Corning grad, Section 4 kid. He'd already played an incre incredible game, but decided to save his best when his team needed him the most. His first save after Cornell got back to within three goals came with 5.57 left in the game. Billy Coyle got off a shot, stick side, and because Nick McNaney was in good position and ready, easy save. His second save of this crucial stretch came with 4.58 left to play in the fourth. Billy Coyle, again, another stick side shot. McNaney makes the save. His final and probably one of the easier saves of the fourth quarter came off a John Piatelli shot with 2.25 left in the contest. Poor shot selection overall by Piatelli, but as time winds down, you know, what the hell are you going to do? You got to get something on net, and this was just too easy. Easy stick side save for McNaney again. So Cornell just terrible shot placement. They got shots off. Poor shot placement overall. McNaney being a veteran, always being in the right spot, ended up playing tough. While Piatelli would score the game's final goal with 36 sec seconds left in the game, Luke Weirman, he won the game's final draw, and then Maryland runs the clock out to complete their perfect season. Now, let's talk about some keys to this game. Obviously, obviously, number one, Logan McNaney. The kid was incredible all season with a 5.97 save percentage. However, his play over the course of Maryland's final seven games this season, season was nothing short of incredible overall. 60% against Hopkins and Rutgers in the big tournament. 11 saves, 78% against Virgi uh, Vermont in the NCAA first round. 14 saves, good for 63% against UVA in the quarters. 19 saves against Princeton in the semis on Saturday. Stopped 73% of the shots he faced in that game. And now 17 saves and a 708 save percentage against Cornell in the finals. He's named the MVP, rightfully so. The kid didn't just have a monster tournament. He had a monster conference tournament, and he played solid throughout the year. He was a little bit streaky earlier in the year, but it was tough. I mean, they didn't lose a game. So how can you really fault the kid? Another key to this game, Anthony DeMeo. The veteran got the natural hat trick early in the game, and that kind of got Maryland rolling overall. He also scored the first goal of Maryland's second run, their four-goal run. He scored the fourth of his game during that run to start that out, and he added an assist and finished the game with four goals and a dish off 10 shots with two ground balls. Now, Maryland defense overall, 
the defense of Maryland played well all game long. They only combined for eight turnovers through the full game, but they played nearly flawless defense over the course of the second and third quarters. Now, that's probably overstating it a little bit, but that first quarter was a bit shaky. They gave up seven shots on cage, but McNaney bailed them out most of that time, saving six of the seven shots he faced over that first quarter. Over the course of the second and third quarters, they frustrated Cornell shooters, forced them to get bomb shots from the deep. That was really all they could take. And even if the Big Red got something close, it was usually met with stick on hands, a lift, somebody getting on the body, causing those shots to go off cage. Cornell took 19 shots over that stretch, but only put nine of them on cage, and McNaney stopped seven of them. Cornell took 40 shots on the day, only putting 24 of them on cage with only seven of them causing McNaney to turn and rake. That is a hell of a day for McNaney. Certainly not Maryland's best defensive performance overall, but think about this. Even on an off day, they managed to hold hold Cornell to their lowest goal output of the season. They had scored eight goals in a loss to Brown and eight goals in a win over Dartmouth, and they were above that the rest of the season in terms of their goal output. So holding a very good offensive team to seven goals in the national title game on a day that you don't necessarily play your best, not too damn shabby, especially fighting the heat too. Credit to Ajax Zapatello, five GBs and a forced turnover on the day. John Geppert, two cause turnovers and three GBs. Jake Higgins paced the D-mids with four GBs. Bubba Fairman, one cause turnover, two GBs. Alex Smith, Two GBs, and man, Alex Smith is a specimen, specimen of a man as well. The deepest defensive unit in the land played down in terms of the eye test as you watched this game. You could see Cornell getting shots off. You could see that towards the end of the game, Cornell battled back and got back into the game. But despite that, they're still able to get the W, hold off that late Cornell rally, and they win a national title. Another key here, Logan Wisnowskis. He had a down day for him, just two goals, two helpers on four shots, three GBs, and only a turnover. A leader like Wisnowskis, though, kid leads by example. He didn't press anything as he failed to get quality looks. A lot of teams' leading scorers would press a little bit too often, especially late in that game as, as Cornell started to come back. He let the game come to him. He leads by example, so the rest of this offense does the exact same thing. He plays selfless ball. So does the rest of this team. So credit to Logan Wisnowskis on an incredible season. He will be the Twarton winner, and uh, that's just a fact. Luke Weirman in this day. When I watched the game, I actually felt like Weirman lost the better part of the faceoffs for some reason, but he wins 13 to 20 draws on the day, picked up eight GBs in the process. Not too bad in a national title winning performance. Credit to Cornell's Angelo Petrakis, though. He won six of 11 draws in the first half, but then Weirman comes out in that second half. He wins eight of nine over the course of the second half. He wins that last faceoff of the game to allow Maryland to seal it instead of you know giving Cornell a chance to get back to within one, and that is the ball game. Now, without that second-half performance out of Weirman, very good chance that Cornell is able to get back into this game and make a ball game out of it by the end. I'm not going to say that they would have won, but it could have been pretty damn close. If he had just split those faceoffs over the course of that second half, who knows what would have happened, but that did not happen, so credit to Weirman. Credit Cornell's defense for clamping down over the course of that second half. They only gave up two second-half goals, both in the third quarter, and they shut Maryland out over the course of that fourth quarter. That was absolutely incredible. Credit Gavin Adler. He had two takeaways with seven ground balls all over the field. I I couldn't hear everything that was going on the field, but I just picture Adler chirping everybody and or helping to orchestrate that defense, make sure guys are doing handling their shit properly. He proved he is really one of the best defenders in the country, flat out 
no question for Cornell. And I did hear a rumor, or maybe it's true, that he plans on coming back to Cornell in that uh, uh, for 2023. So that will be huge for Cornell. So let's just kind of get into the team stats here a little bit. As we see, Cornell outshot Maryland, which is insanely impressive that they got that many shots off. But as I said, a lot of those shots were from outside. Easy saves for McNaney, and he was there to handle them. Uh, shots on cage, only 24 of their 40 were on cage. Maryland, better but not much better, 37 shots, 18 on cage, but they put enough past, you know, 50% of their shots past Erlin and they win the game. As we see the saves, you know, this is, this is a little bit not, this doesn't tell the whole story here. He ends up with 17 saves on the day off of 24 shots on cage. Yeah, I guess that does tell the story here. And Erlin ends up with nine saves off of 18 shots on cage. So yeah, obviously he had the better game and everything like that, but Erlin still did not play bad lacrosse Maryland really did pepper him and over the course of that fourth quarter you see here he puts up four saves in the third a single save over that fourth but that was only because Cornell really didn't give Maryland any look so he has a good second half and that helps Maryland get back into it so credit to Erlen turnovers Maryland like I said Cornell they didn't force a bunch of these turnovers a lot of these were just Corn uh, Maryland just kind of tossing the ball away Maryland offensively especially over the course of that second half, as Cornell's defense got more comfortable and started to be in the right place more often, they forced 14 turnovers out of Maryland over the course of that second half. Like I said, not necessarily all were forced and credited to a player, but I call almost any turnover forced to some degree. If, if you're frustrating an offense to the point they just throw a ball away, credit to that defense. Clears, not, not anything huge here. 29 to 31 out of Cornell, so they were almost perfect in the clearing game. And Maryland, uncharacteristically, 25 of 30. They turned the ball over five times uh, in clears. That was not great for them. Ground balls, Maryland wins that battle, especially, look at this third quarter number here. 17 ground balls over the course of that third quarter. Faceoffs, 13-7 favored Maryland overall. And Maryland had the game's only man up, and they scored on it, that DeMeo goal with that beautiful kind of quick stick, one-touch feed by Maltz. As we get into the statistics, if we look at it here, Cornell, everybody's just quiet. CJ Kirst, 2-1 with two turnovers, two GBs off seven shots. Not a great efficient game out of him. Same thing, Piatelli, 1-1. One one. Wertheim, 1-1. One one. Michael Long was the most quiet of the Big Cats. He goes for a single goal off four shots with a turnover. So not a good game overall from any of them. Like I said, Petrakis wins 16, 6 of 17 draws. The first half, it was key. Cornell just couldn't get their offense together, though, while they were still winning those faceoffs, and then they barely won one through the entire second half. So that was pretty brutal. And as we get into Maryland, like I said, DeMeo 4-1, Wisnowskis 2-2, two two. Kyle Long 0-3 oh on the day, Maliver 1-1, one one. Donville quiet 1-0, Maltz with the assist, Brennan with an assist. You know, I mean, you look at it, not a high-scoring game for Maryland. This was one of their lowest outputs, if not their lowest output. I think it was definitely their lowest output of the season, but who cares? You know, you got the big cats up here. Loga, Wisnowskis, and DeMeo, they're getting the job done. And then we look at the face-off battle. Weirman wins 13-20, as I said. And nothing huge here. McNaney ended up with two uh, cause turnovers. Geppert had two. Weirman with one. Zapatella with one. Fairman with one. So overall, from a statistical standpoint, not anyone's best game, but for Maryland, good enough to win a national title. McNaney here we see 17 saves versus just seven goals against compared to Erlen going 50% between the pipes, nine and nine. And Maryland wins the ball game. Now, of all the chatter, is Maryland the best lacrosse team to ever play the game? You see a lot of people saying this. I would say offensively, Maryland was probably the best team-oriented 
offense that I've ever seen play the game in terms of getting everybody involved, especially in terms of guys being willing to play diminished roles in order to get the other guys time and to let that kind of offense roll. Just one of the, it was truly something to behold, especially in the shot clock era. They just kept coming at you and at you and at you. They never relented. They were usually always under control, but they always played fast. Now credit, you know, that's a lot of it. It has to do with having a bunch of, of veteran players running around on the field for you here overall. So that's going that definitely helped them. But I mean, are they the best team that uh, in in the history of college across? No. I don't think so. Uh, and I don't think I'd, I'd want to even name who I think the best team is. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about uh, uh, you, uh, one of the UVA teams that won the championship. I can't remember. What was it, 2011? Something like that. You hear people talk about the 90 Qs team. And it's like, man, you can't really compare eras. So I'm not going to compare them that way. What I will say is I do firmly believe this Maryland team was one of the top five of all time. And I'm not going to put them in any order. I'm just saying, hey, if you don't think they were in one of the one of the top five teams to ever play the game, you don't probably know lacrosse or know what you're talking about. And the reason I say that is they had no weaknesses. Offensively, all three of their attackmen could score. Maliver was the quietest, but he still put points up. You look at the midfield, they could go their first midfield line was deadly. They had two solid midfield lines, mid six midfielders that were so solid that Bubba Fairman was willing to play D mid. They could play four D mids. Puglazi injured in this game with a bad wrist. He was he was hobbled, but he still went. But the fact that they had depth ended up helping them in this as well. Defensively, they put three poles on the field as good as anyone. McNaney, not the best goalie in the country, but one of the top five goalies in the country, hands down. Now he's the MVP of the NCAA tournament. So it's like they they are one of the best five teams to ever play the game because they were good everywhere on the field. They didn't have a weak position group at all. And they went undefeated and won a national title against other stacked teams. So... What are you going to say? You can make the argument, well, they've got all these transfers. Sure. Put an asterisk on the name. They did have a boatload of transfers, but so did Rutgers in their conference. So did, you know, all sorts of other teams that they played throughout the season. Georgetown, you name it. Uh, everybody kind of had a had a loaded up roster. Let me just look at their schedule here. I mean, we we sit here and we go through who did they beat here this season? High point 21-13. Loyola 20 to 8. Then you got this stretch here. Cuse plays them to four goals. That was an uncare. They Maryland didn't play great that game, and I think Cuse played one of their better games of the year, especially defensively in this one. Princeton gave them a good run, and then Notre Dame gave them a good run. Two-goal run there. But then we've got waxing of Albany, waxing of Virginia, waxing of Penn State, waxing of Michigan. They beat up Rutgers. They beat up Ohio State. They beat up Hopkins. They beat Hopkins in the Big Ten tournament handily. They beat Rutgers in the Big Ten tournament by an even larger margin. They roll through the first two games of the tournament against Vermont. Quality team, not anywhere near Maryland's level. They do the same thing against Virginia, beat them by nine, and then they have to go on and play Princeton. They win convincingly 13-8. At no point was the, the outcome of that game in question. And same thing with Cornell. At no point was the outcome of this game really in question. I had a feeling even as Cornell started to come back that Maryland was probably going to hold on to win. I'm sure if we looked at lacrosse references win probability, it was probably pretty high and didn't dip too low through that game, but to not say and to not think that Maryland was one of the best teams all time, you'd have to be smoking the crack pipe is all I'll say. So that's it. That's all I'm going to talk about that game. And like I said, we'll, we'll dive back into it a little bit. We're going to go right into the PLL season here coming up. I'm going to do a PLL preview show probably Thursday. So we'll get to talk about that. Man, maybe I won't do it Thursday. Maybe I do the PLL preview show Friday so that this, this show can live a little bit longer on Wednesday. 
and Thursday. But let's move on now to the Union and the RIT game. Now, if you look at how this game played out here, we see final score 12-10 RIT. But as you kind of look here, Union scores the first goal of the game, RIT scores. Union scores two more, RIT scores. So we've got a 3-2 game in favor of Union, and this was right about the time that I turned the game on and started watching. And then we have Union go on a four-goal run, and they end up taking a 7-2 lead before RIT scores two unanswered to end the half, and it's 7-4 at the half. Now, I'm sitting here like, holy crap. Union looks great. Now, granted, RIT came out and scored two goals late in the second half to make things reasonable again. But at that point, I have no reason to believe that RIT is going to come out and do what they did. We didn't know at the time that those first two goals or those those final two goals of the second half were the beginning of an eight-goal RIT run that ran from the end of the second quarter through to the beginning, you know, kind of the first third of the fourth quarter. So Ryan Barnable's goal unassisted with 11.48 left in the fourth, fourth gave RIT a 10-7 lead and then Union answered and then it just kind of went back and forth 12-10, you know, the garbage goal at the end to get back to within 12-10, but that is all she wrote. So RIT with an insane comeback over the course of that sec over the span of that second to first third of that fourth quarter. If we look at the individual stats here for Union Burns Two and two, Keaton McCann, one and two, Brian Davis, two and oh, Hayden Frey, two and oh. So, I mean, they got scoring from the big cats here. And then if we looked at their cause turnovers, uh, Ryan Puglisi, two cause turnovers, Jack Thompson and Clint Gordeaux, all with two turnovers as well. We come down here to RIT. Quinn Commandant, three goals and a helper. Marley Angus, two and two. John Mos uh, Mosrell, two and two. I don't know how to pronounce that. That is my bad. Pilcher, one and one. He's a little bit quiet. Uh, big key in this game, though, was Jimmy Spillane. 13 of 25 at the dot on the day. And then if we go up here to the team stats, we'll kind of see how that played out over the course of the game. You see, they RIT did not fare all that well. Actually, it was pretty even. It was pretty even here, 7-6 to six over the course of the first half, and they literally flipped it in the second half. So a hell of a job there by both face-off guys. It was uh, Spillane taking the bulk, almost all of RIT's, all but one of RIT's face-offs, and then Matthew Palato, he goes 8-15, of 15, and then Sam Byrne goes 5-11 of 11 for Union. So credit to those guys for doing battle with Spillane. Spillane's a hell of a face-off guy. And, uh, you know, what else, what else is there to say here? You know, Taylor Jensen... Two cost turnovers. Brett Naylor won one. You know, didn't take the ball away. Union played a hell of a game offensively. What a great story Union was here this season, though. Uh, just you know, playing incredible lacrosse, beating some big cats, getting themselves to the final. We ended up having an all New York final. But it's the Tigers of RIT who win back-to-back -back national championships. Now, this may be, a, you know, an all-time flex by a lacrosse team. I wanted to show you guys all this. I popped up Twitter the very next morning as I'm putting my coffee, as I'm starting to drink my coffee, and I see this. One thing left to do. And they're going to come in here and we're going to see them update their Twitter profile. I'm going to drink a beer as you watch. 2021 and 2022 NCAA Division Three National Champions. So that is a pretty dope Twitter flex by the RIT social media crew. Hell of a job by them. But congrats to both RIT and Union on having an all-New York final. And congrats to RIT for winning that bad boy. Next one, and this is going to be a, a really shitty box score, was Mercy versus Tampa. Tampa trying to go undefeated. 
they they end up winning this game 11 to 7 and it was once again another game this wasn't really in question here after that second quarter uh, the score was what 8 to 4 and they kind of exchanged goals through the rest of the game here you see their biggest lead was pretty much that was it right 8 to 4 no 7 to 2 looks like it was their biggest lead of the game so credit to mercy for hanging tough here, but Tampa, man, offensively, Tampa is absolutely brutal. We look at the box score here for Tampa, and I, I hate it. Like, how can a team not have whatever it is, uh, Sidearm Sports, running their website with some interesting and solid uh, uh, crap here? We see Daniel Fitzpatrick, 3-1. and one. We see Cole Willard, 4-0. and oh. We see Owen Miller, 1-3. and three. And then over here on the Mercy side, we got Dominic Scorcia, two and one. Brady Kiernan, two and one. Caused turnovers on the Tampa side. Matthew Beto, three caused turnovers on the day. What'd the goalies do? Where are our goalie stats? I don't even see goalie stats in here. This is why I hate these box scores. I think I'm just going to give up on this one, man. And what I'm going to tell them is you guys need to get, number one, you guys need sidearm sports and Jesus in your lives because I can't even find the goalies. I just found them. Maybe the joke's on me and I'm an a-hole here. But uh, Blake Ulmer for Tampa, seven goals against, nine saves in the game. And Tommy Umano goes for 11 saves against, 11 goals against in the game. So Mercy pulls off an undefeated season just like Maryland did, albeit they want a boatload more games because they play just a shitload of games here at the D2 level. Their path to the tournament looked like what? I am curious to see here. Oh my gosh, this goes way back. Did they? Theirs goes in reverse? No, it doesn't. Look at how many games they play. Holy shit. All right. Yep. They beat Lemoyne. Or no, that was Mercy. Mercy beat Lemoyne in two overtimes to advance to the finals. So that was pretty crazy. Uh, um, I don't know. Who am I looking at here? I'm looking at like ECC Sports. So this isn't even on Tampa's website here at this point. So maybe I'm the a hole and, and, uh, Tampa's not. So that's it, guys. Listen, I'm I'm done rambling. Most of you probably didn't even make it this far into the show. You could tell I did not prep all that much for the D1 and D or for the D2 and D3 games because I was just busy. I rewatched a little bit of the game here today, cut up some highlights for all of you guys and everything like that. Like I said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to do one more show. We're going to do just a season recap. I'm going to do my my awards and everything like that. I'll do position by position awards and a player of the year award. And then we are out of college across and we are moving right onto the PLL. And I'm going to cover the PLL all summer as well. We're going to cut down. We're just going to do one show a week uh, specific to the PLL. And then what we'll do is we'll have um, I'll just do random probably uh, film review shows here. I'm going to try to do a lot more film reviews here uh, this off season. So I'm I'm sorry I fudged it through the Division three and the Division two games there. But you know this was a weird season here. This I will admit I will be the first to admit this was not even close to my best season of covering college across. I definitely did a better job in terms of the prep, in terms of the writing for season one and season definitely last season was better, uh, but you know, between health issues and work being stupid busy and all this other bullshit, I definitely was off my game a little bit and felt a little bit rushed here, but none, nonetheless, you guys stuck with me, we get to 10,000 subscribers, boatloads of listens to every, you know, every episode is doing well, so I can't thank you all enough for the support during this college season, and now I'm going to officially dive hard into the PLL, I have chosen to be a fan of the chaos because I, you know... <sighs> It's hard for me to decide because I'm a regional guy, so if they ever do decide to get their shit together at the PLL level and they decide to actually have you, you know, have teams tied to regions and everything like that, I may change my affiliation. We'll see how it goes here. 
But uh, for right now, I'm going to be a chaos fan. Simply, I like their roster makeup. I like their head coach. And uh, that's really where I'm going to go with there. So I got to get myself some gear here next is what I got to do. But like I said, I will be back for the PLL preview on Friday morning. I'm going to watch PLL games all day, Saturday and Sunday. I'm probably not going to be able to get to a PLL game. I think I'm going to go to the finals. I think is what my wife and I were talking about, taking uh, the whole family to see the finals in Chester, PA, just because that's fairly close to us. And it, you know, it's a quick hit. Take the kids to a lacrosse game, stay overnight, you know, come home be out of there but that's it i'm going to quit here i'm going to say one more time cheers to all of you for sticking with me for making this season and this channel a huge success and uh as always man i'll be back and uh, thank you for listening thank you for watching and hoost is out mm -hmm.